Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. Wake up! With your chance to sound off, give your opinion, and tell us your thoughts. It's on. It's now. It's here. It's the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. All right, all right. It's not the Andy Griffith theme, but uh, it is May the 4th, and uh, may the 4th be with you. Dr. David Blodgett joins me on the Andy Griffith Show today. Uh, we grew up with Star Wars, yeah, Dave, gonna, so... I was going to say, that's awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't... I, it's weird. May the 4th, obviously, the, the, the sound of it sounds like you're saying May the 4th, whatever, but I don't remember it being anything until, like, maybe five years ago or something. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, product of the internet age, I guess. I guess, I guess so. But uh, anyway, may the fourth be with you all, all out there on this fourth day of May. Should we play the Andy Griffith Griffith music just for, <laughs> for the heck of it? Yeah, here, there you go. Everybody knows what show it is, I guess. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, welcome to the program. It's the first Wednesday of the month. That means it's David Blodgett Day. The doctor is here uh, to talk public health with us. And David, thank you for coming in today. It's great so good to, to be see here. You. Thank you for having me. I, gosh, I was just thinking about. I was what seven or eight years old, nine when the. I first went to Star Wars, and it was just such a different experience. Came out anything it, you'd ever seen before. Yeah, you know, it, it just, really was. Just blew the world away. It was amazing. Well, you know, I had older brothers, and uh, they were. I was. I, I think it came out in '77, right in there. Right. I was like nine years old, so I or, or eleven. I guess it was eleven. Anyway, I had heard about it, but I wasn't. I'd, I wasn't excited about it. I was like, "Oh, that'll be cool." And my brothers were just through the roof about yeah. it. They, they couldn't stop talking about how cool this was going to be. Yeah. And, and uh, I had been, uh, as a kid, I'd read uh, Ray Bradbury and Isaac Asimov. I was a sci-fi fan, so for there to be a movie about sci-fi, I was I was excited, but not like, I, I kind of thought they were going to screw it up, to be yeah. honest. I thought, right. oh, they're not going to get it right. <laughs> uh, but boy, they got it right. They got boy, it right. Boy, did they get it right. I, I remember I stayed in town for like six months, you yeah. know, packed the whole time, yeah. and, I, and my parents didn't want me to go, and so I didn't get to go until the last night. It was really? There. Yeah. Really? Last night. I were they it's af- amazing af- how strange things. Were they afraid it was too much for you? Too I, yeah, well, and... I was too. You know, I, was, I think it was. I really think I was eight. So, eight? Um, you know, I was pretty young, and uh, but it was just so so very different than anything that had ever been out before. It really changed the. Yeah, a well, lot, I, a lot. No, no sex scenes. No, yeah. Very little violence. Even the violence was, you know, lasers shooting across the field and everybody missing half the yeah. time anyway and stuff. I, I think even now it's in the top ten for biggest movies of all time. Yeah. Money wise, they've just there just had never been anything like that. So. And I, I don't think as great as a lot of some of the sequels were phenomenal, but I I, I don't think anyone will, any of them will ever match the right. very first one. Yeah, the just very in first sheer. <laughs> Creativity, yeah, and, and culture and changing, and everything. Just so. uh, really, cap. I remember a quote from somebody when I was reading an article. They were talking about the next Star Wars movie coming out, and they said, "Well, how come there's another Star Wars movie? Isn't that a waste of time?" And somebody they had a quote from a guy saying, "Look, they don't understand. I'd pay ten bucks to come and watch Han Solo mow his lawn." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> true. So, it's so, true. It's like uh, it just created a whole new worldwide phenomenon. It was it was, it was a, a fun time. I remember it well. Does uh, does something like that affect public health at all? I mean, I'm I'm not trying to be stupid and, tra- and you know and 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 
you know, whatever, yeah. make light of it. But what does that do to public health when, when something is, has there been anything like that since you've been public health director that has kind of altered the way people behave? Of course. Yeah. M- movie wise. Trends anyway. in movies. Yeah. It's interesting. There's a, there's a, a wing of public health that wants any movie that has a smoking in it to be rated R. And I think they've hmm. largely succeeded in that. I, you know, it's clear there's messages in movies that have an impact on the way people view, you know, health or what is healthy and not healthy and how to live their lives. And, you know, some, some people pattern their lives after what they see in movies, particularly if they really gravitate towards that. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know that there's really good data about that, but I think what we do know is the more you normalize a behavior, the the more you see in, in a population, right? So you normalize yeah. something yeah. bad and you see more of it, or you normalize something good and you see more of it. So um, that, that's interesting. you have to be careful about the messages that you the, take in. The smoking topic, I, I didn't even really think about that, but uh, when we were young in the 70s, everyone smoked yeah. it seemed like especially in the movie if you were cool you know G- james dean yeah whatever, Jimmy james dean, james dean built smoked. a whole image yeah. on that right so um, <clears throat> um yeah now now i can't remember i guess they still do sometimes in movies smoke yeah but, but really you know, rarely don't see and, it very I, often. and almost always it gets them rated our our rating really in, that, hmm. in the world of movies i think they say it takes off like 40 percent of your revenue to be rated r so i don't know interesting to yeah gotta get gotta get that pg-13 in so <laughs> everybody can go to it i guess huh? i guess so uh i have uh i know you're not an expert in this area but i thought maybe we could talk a minute about uh, uh veins uh in particular a lot of a lot of guys up there in years especially guys uh, they start experiencing neuropathy and even swelling in the legs and i wonder do you have any idea what relationship the vein has to to all that that's going on there? Yeah, you know, so I know this is a topic near and dear to your heart, and <laughs> right now it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the circulatory system's fascinating, and you mm-hmm. know, there's guys that spend their whole careers working on this, but uh, and from our standpoint, you know, two thirds of all people will have some sort of heart disease by the time they die, right? Two thirds. So, wow. so you know, it, throughout the pandemic, we've forgotten that heart disease and cancer and you know they there's still a lot more people dying from that than covid heart and, disease uh, is still number one in the world yeah, right still number yeah. one in the world number one here interestingly here in our area um cancer and heart disease are tied they, oh. heart disease come down a little bit cancer's stayed up there a little higher than it should be and so so there we, we're about equal in cancer and heart disease all of that's aside from this so your your the, the arteries take um blood away from the heart and there's an active component there it's it's elastic and there's musculature so it helps move all of that fluid out okay the veins though are a little more passive right and they require on must you know the musculature in your arm and you're around it to help move the blood back it it Hmm. also but it has these valves that are one directional so so you when you move when you contract muscles or something it pushes you know on the those veins and that uh keeps it moving towards the heart and the valves close to keep it moving in that way and so a lot of trouble happens when those valves get stripped out just aging yeah <laughs> uh you know doing active things that kind of don't help with that and crossing your legs inappropriately or whatever and so you end up with 
you know, varicose veins and you know, vascular insufficiency, pooling in there. And then the strength of the heart has a lot to do with how quickly you're moving blood through your system too. So if you have heart failure or something like that, you, you, you don't end up being able to accumulate that uh, fluid coming back. And, and then you also got this independent system, which for, you know cycles fluid through it, the lymph system, then also dumps into all of that and is part of the circulation. So you've got this really complex thing yeah. driven by this really remarkable organ, the heart, that just you know is good for a lifetime. But man, it uh, <laughs> it keeps on pumping, you know, and uh, and and so that's part of what you're you know. So in in the vein realm, it plays this critical role of, of returning fluid to the heart. Uh, and and so there's things that can happen that you know particularly if you lose those those one way valves then uh, and you have to elevate your legs for example right, to keep right. things going back or compression hose and one, hose and or one of the things like the doctor that, you know, says you you have to elevate your legs above your heart you know how hard that yeah, is yeah that's right you can't to... just put your legs up in the easy chair you've got to get <laughs> pillows and you've got to lean way back yeah and, yeah. yeah and it's it it's it's trouble um, keeping those. And, you know, it's it's not an uncommon occurrence for edema in the lower limbs to, to really be a problem for people uh, as they age, especially. So how does something that, to pay attention to and be careful for. How does that factor in with neuropathy, especially neuropathy in the feet? Well, so sometimes they go along with each other, sometimes not. Neuropathy is... is damage to the nerves mm-hmm. uh, the peripheral nerves so it can happen along with each other and sometimes when you have enough swelling that can damage nerves itself uh, sometimes the the nerves are damaged and so you don't feel things and so you damage you know right, uh, right. it can go both ways they're not they're not necessarily synonymous but they often go hand in hand I guess is the way to say it so I think you uh, told me once about uh, pain is your body telling you there's something wrong yeah. and if you have neuropathy you can't feel that pain yeah yeah pay, paying attention it's I read a great book once called the pain the gift that nobody wants yeah <laughs> that's true it's true uh, but the idea is that's your flag to say i need to pay attention to this for a while you know so but then you can also have independent conditions that'll give you neuropathy um you know medications can cause neuropathy but diabetes tends to be our biggest that's a big neuropathy one, yeah. driver here and you know, we're we're in scary territory for diabetes. We've got probably nine percent of the population that has diabetes, but another twenty percent that are pre diabetic. So so that's a that's a topic that, you know, I continue to raise the warning voice about that we need to be really paying attention to. Well I remember you, levels. you said I don't know, six months ago, a year ago, whatever, that uh went back when you were in medical school diabetes was rare uh, and it was of the one type uh, or type one and and uh, it just you didn't see it much right and i remember i had a cousin who was diabetic and it was very strange nobody knew what it was or and they had to have insulin and now diabetes has changed and a lot yeah well it's it's so common and um and 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 takes such a toll on people's lives, you know. I yeah. mean, it's it's just not a, a minor issue, and um, it, it is. I, I think fundamentally, part of the tragedy of it all is it's it's largely preventable, you know. But it's that it's the old lifestyle change issues that we sure. we struggle with so much, and we talk about so much on this program. So, well, in 
modern times, we have grown used to processed foods. We've grown used to high sugar foods. We've grown used to, and, and not only uh, maybe grown used to is not even the right word. We, we are addicted to these things. We love these things. They, convenience is great, yeah. but with convenience, you sacrifice a lot of the things that the nutrients and things that you need. And instead, they're replaced by, you know, artificial things and fillers and, and things that we know are bad for us. But the trade-off, and, and this is where I don't envy you your job, the trade-off is we're sacrificing our future health for our current convenience. Yeah, more momentary pleasure or convenience. I, I mean, one of, the, one of the sayings that I like to include in this discussion is um, one, of the, one of the big problems I think we have is a lot of calories com, you know, focused in really intense forms that we just never had that capacity to get to before, right? So you could eat a lot of food, but, but it wasn't as nearly as calorie-dense as we have. And, and one of the areas where the most density happens with the least nutritional benefit is in drinks. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, so I, I often hear health educators use the phrase, don't, don't drink your calories. Yeah, I've heard that many times myself. I, I really think that that one thing really makes a big difference, I think, right? So mm-hmm. you add two, three, four hundred calories to your meal by what you drink, that that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, that, that you take that element out. So, you, you know, drink water instead of a, a soda or something. That makes, a, I think, a big difference in the overall trajectory of, of where your weight will be and things like that. So it's something to put on people's plate and consider whether or not, it, you know, those drinks are worth it. We, we talked about this last month a little bit, but chocolate milk is something I actually really like chocolate milk. And there has been a, a in the athletic field, uh, you know, I, I have been party to kind of witnessing how the chocolate milk companies have convinced and maybe rightfully, maybe not that chocolate milk is really good for you after you work out that yeah. you, know, you should be taking, you know, in fact, to the point where they were handing out chocolate milks after ball games for quite a few years there. And I mean, in, I'm interested. I know we talked about it a little bit last week, but maybe if you could just uh, give me your thoughts on that. Yeah. You know, I, I'm getting a little more cynical about some things. Yeah. <laughs> Comes with age. Well, one of them is there seems to be a study for every field that has a, a big backing behind it, right? Yeah, so, financial. So alcohol is great for you. you yeah. Know, caffeine, great for you. And But then when you look at the the, the backing behind those studies, you say, I don't know. and. and mm-hmm. We just, and I think COVID kind of showed that to us too. You can kind of prove whatever point you want to make just based on the way you ask the question or how you run the study or whatever. And I, you know, so, you know, take caffeine. There, There's this breadth of, it's really terrible for you too. It's, you know, the best thing that ever existed for you. And, and it's really, it, once you have an industry that's making billions and billions of dollars, it's really hard to know what the true science is. And I... I um, I don't know. I don't know where the, the chocolate milk fits into that conundrum, but I, yeah. I, I suspect there's some of that going on there. That most most of the really good studies say we're we're nutritionally balanced enough in our society that you don't need something to supplement like that. <laughs> um, water is just fine, and, and eat a good, well balanced diet, and those kinds of things, you know. And so, yeah. um, I, I think the other. The other hype is hype, you know, around somebody trying to sell a product. And so just just keep in mind when there's big money involved, there's probably reasons for uh, making statements that may or may not really be accurate in the end, you know. 
So. I was talking with my daughter, who's 20 years old, the other day about something, and I said, that's, that's kind of sus, because that's what the kids like to do. That's it's sus. sus huh? I'm like, did, did I, I looked over to her, did I use that correctly? And she's like, you got it, Dad. That's a, that, that, you pretty much nailed it. So, but you're, I mean, we're joking around about it, but yeah, it's, it's, easy, it's easy to fall under the, well, they said it's good for me, so I'm going to go, well, who's they? You know, you should yeah. be suspicious of who they are. You know, Ernest, if Ernest and Julio Gallo do a study that one glass of wine a day is good for you, you might want to think, okay, <laughs> now, what do these guys do for a living? Mm, yeah, they make wine. Okay. Yeah. And is, <laughs> and is that any different than eating grapes or something else, which is probably the case, right? So, yeah. um, I don't know. I, it, it's, it makes it, it, it complicates things. I mean, we, we talk about science as some static uh, <laughs> entity out there, yeah. when in reality, I think it's very, very difficult, particularly when you're talking about human behavior to understand what's really going on. And so there was a, a great study in JAMA three or four months ago that came out that said, look, uh, we've, we've tried to do this meta analysis, which is where you take all the best quality studies and kind of break them down. Yeah. Of, of whether or not red meat is truly a, a driver, an independent driver of cancer. Cancer, yeah. And the data was, no, we can't prove that. So, mm. uh, but I think everybody would say, you know, red meat's the enemy, right, out there. And so I, it, it, sometimes we get things in the mind of researchers where they say, well, this is what it is, and we're just going to prove it. But when you really look at the quality of the studies and the way they've asked questions and stuff, it's not not good you know yeah uh so i think ultimately the message is a lot of what we talked about moderation in all things wide variety of different kinds of foods (laughs) yeah uh and all the things we don't want to hear necessarily yeah well and (laughs) they've actually coined a term and i'm trying to remember i i'm gonna get this wrong but i think they call it orthorexia orthorexia the unhealthy attention to healthy eating (laughs) (laughs) okay that goes along with anorexia and bulimia right orthorexia so so the idea is yeah you can spend so much time focused on your diet and i'm not gonna eat this i'm gonna eat this that you end up making life just that much more miserable and 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 doing more harm than good right and so you can you can you can put yourself in nutritional deficiencies. You can end up doing you know more harm than good with this. Anything overblown just isn't helpful. And so you know, I have a sister-in-law that has um, I never remember the name of what she has, but she can't she can't eat uh, meat, red meat, yeah. uh, any kind of meat. It makes her really sick. Uh, and she was having, I mean, she would almost fit into that where she, she designed a, a diet that where it wouldn't incorporate meat, but she was finding herself being protein deficient yeah. uh, on a regular basis. And she, she had to try to incorporate something like beans and things like that that would get them, but it just, it, she wasn't quite making it. Getting, so. getting complete proteins is very difficult yeah. um, in the absence of meat or eggs, perhaps, you know, yeah. they have complete proteins, but but you have to be really careful. Taurine and some of the, the the more difficult proteins to find are just not present in most plant sources. Of, hmm. of, so you have to be aware of that, and that's part of the the, the challenge of, of of any. We're designed to kind of 
graze on a little bit of everything, right? But yeah. we're not, we weren't designed to be carnivores either, right? <laughs> so no. there's a lot of us that think we're that. Uh, you know, it's this, we're, mod- we're it's this moderate <laughs> approach that, you know, yeah. I've always tried to advocate where we say, look, you know, one extreme or another isn't the way to go. It's not healthy. It's, it's that in the middle where you need to be. If you have a question for the good doctor, give us a call, 673-5890. You can text me, 435-467-5842. Let's uh, real quick go to Seth, who has been patiently waiting on hold. Seth, do you have a question for the good doctor? Yes, I I don't like Star Wars. (laughs) Come on. How can you not like Star Wars? Because they they took the science out of science fiction. (laughs) Them laser beams, you know, when you're hacking around, you chop your house down and punch holes in the moon. And there's sock puppets everywhere with big fuzzy suits on and a lack of science. I grew up, you know, with uh, Star Trek and Invasion from Mars and Forbidden Planet where there was some science. And so... As far as I'm concerned, they took the science out of science fiction, and it was just fantasy. Well, well maybe they need to change the name. Maybe there needs to be a new uh, category, Ornotheroxo <laughs> fiction or something. That's an, it's a good point, though, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, put a little science in my fiction because that's the part that attracts me uh, with a scientific background. And... Um, I I was just wondering, uh, since we're talking about hearts and and chocolate milk and and heart disease and all of these kind of things, um, let's take chocolate milk, for instance. Is the casein A1 versus casein A2 uh, or the sugar or the mixture of the two what is the most damaging? And I, from my standpoint, I can't consume any kind of dairy product without having problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get less problems from the casein A2. Yeah. Well, it, 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 there are a lot of people that are um, lactose intolerant, you know, and the proteins in milk cause trouble. And, you know, yeah. if, you, if you are, then that's definitely something to pay attention to. I don't think it's a protein that actually is bad for everybody. It's just for those that don't have the right enzymes to either mm-hmm. break down the the lactose or, you know, deal with some of the proteins that are there. Um, how about how about the uh, type of blood? As, as uh, A positive, uh, I, I don't know what Andy is, but um, O's tend to need more protein than, than other blood types, uh, particularly. And so... I know in my case, everybody in my family is having problem with dairy products. Hmm. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of books and studies out on eat for your body type or your blood type, and hmm. you know, I I don't so, know that they hold up well over time. You know, I I think in general, um, people can be sensitive. There's there's whole swaths of people that just can't tolerate dairy or you know. Alcohol, for example, it just depends on if you yeah. have a you know kind of a genetic predisposition. But uh, I don't think that's an indicator of the quality of a food. Most food, your body takes it in, breaks it down into its component parts. It goes to where it needs to go. It's just if you don't have those correct enzymes to do it, and that's just 
something we all have to figure out on our own, you know, and um, there's some things I don't deal with very well. I just know yeah. it and I can't do it, you know, and so. <laughs> and you hopefully remember to write it down yeah. for sure. <laughs> I have a question for you about dairy intolerance. I, uh, I lived next to a lady. We were half a block from each other, and she became... Uh, I would put her at the time maybe 50 years old, in her, in her early 50s perhaps, uh, had had a regular, normal life, hadn't really had anything that she was intolerant of that she knew of, that she ate normally. Uh, and then at, at some point uh, when I knew her, she became really, really sick, like like yeah. deathly ill, like almost almost going to die. Uh, and she, they went to she, they went to see doctors, got all kinds of tests. They could not figure it out. And finally... Uh, she, one day she was uh, not feeling well. She decided not to have her morning glass of milk and she felt better that morning. Mm -hmm. And then she, she kind of put it together. She said, maybe I should lay off of milk and other dairy products. And, and, uh, she did. And, and that was actually what was causing her to be very, very sick, but she hadn't had that problem her whole life. It's interesting because intolerance to milk particularly can develop over time right hmm. so it's more likely in older people than younger people and so um so just because she didn't have it when she was yeah, 18 or 30 no, just because you don't have it younger doesn't mean it's not coming for you in fact hmm. there's a high percentage of people as they age develop some sort of intolerance to lactose or to, to milk products so has anybody done a study as to why yeah, no well yeah you start you stop producing some of the pr- proteins that help you deal with it right? oh okay so uh, you can actually buy over-the-counter lactate, lactase sure. uh, protein sure. enzymes that can help with that. But even those sometimes are not enough, you know. So it's a, it's a, it's an aging thing <laughs> to pay attention to. Some people they go their whole life and they can do it, but but I it's a pretty high percentage. I don't have a, a figure right off the top of my head that end up uh, just not able to tolerate. Interesting. It kind of goes through phases too. Raw milk, or you know, milk, liquid milk is kind of the first to go, but then eventually it even branches into such really important parts of the diet as cheese and, and <laughs> ice cream. Yeah, and ice cream. And, <laughs> but that's more extreme. Some people, it's just they just can't drink milk itself, but yeah. cheese is okay. It's really interesting how different people hmm. um, are impacted by that. Let me get that, this one text in, and then we'll take a weather break. Uh, he asks about the. Uh, uh, sports tape, the KT tape, or uh, kinesiology tape. Do you know anything about that? Do those work? Is the question. You you, you know you know what tape I'm talking about. Yeah. Like you'll see the volleyball player that pulled a muscle and they'll put tape on it to help it. And I I think I think they can in the right hands. The problem is uh, with a lot of things. You know, we think oh we can do that and we don't put it in the right place, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I've seen some really good physical therapists and some of the sports medicine guys use it to good effect, but um, sometimes not. You just have mm-hmm. to has to be the right kind of injury or right kind of support place. One, one problem with any support mechanism, and I don't think people think about this, is sometimes that makes you reliant on that instead of building that part of the body back up. Does that good make point. sense? Yeah. So, so you know, sometimes you got a knee brace and you don't. You know, you, you you rely on that knee brace without strengthening the muscles that make your knee strong, and that can cause long-term problems. So I, I think all of it is in balance, and I and, yeah. and I guess the caution is um, you, you, a lot of that stuff needs a little bit of 
some an objective opinion to make sure that you're using it correctly and, and would, things like that. Would a doctor then, if he told you, okay, you need to wear a knee brace, would that be a little bit uh, anti what a doctor is supposed to be doing instead of saying well, you, you need to make your knee stronger? No, no, just no, put a brace on. No, no, don't put me in that position. Because <laughs> okay. If your doctor tells you to do it, then you know maybe do it is it, permanently sure. weakened or there's a tear there. True, or, true. You know, there's all kinds of scenarios here, but but I but I. I guess the warning is we get into a lot of self-diagnosis and we don't understand the whole spectrum of what we're supposed to be looking at sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. even somebody that is in the field. I, let me, let me, so this is the story that kind of, you know, keyed me into this when I was a, a resident. I, we had a, a kid come in, he was on the college sports team, really wanted to get back to the college sports. And we were telling him to ice his ankle because he sprained his ankle, right? So. Mm-hmm. So this kid stuck his foot in that ice and didn't take it out for four days and oh. gave himself gangrene and, oh, no. and had to, and lost his foot, right? So you oh, just, my gosh. all of this has a proper approach and, you know, you have to just understand what you're dealing with before you make make things more di- more uh, difficult than they work. So uh, I, th- I think there is a role for stuff like the kinesiology tape. It's just, um, I just use it properly. So. The message we almost always get every month with Dr. Uh, Dr. David Blodgett is moderation in all things, <laughs> yeah. even when it comes to using sports tape. All right, <laughs> got to get this weather break in. Uh, more with Dr. Blodgett when we come back. I've got a chance for you to win a pair of tickets to go see Sting in concert in Las Vegas at the Coliseum at Caesars Palace. The concert is June 10th, that's a Friday night, so you can stay out late partying and watch Sting in concert. Listen carefully to KDXU when you hear Sting played on KDXU. Call caller number four will win a pair of tickets to go see Sting in concert. That's June 10th at the Coliseum in Caesars Palace. That's right, Sting in concert, and we want you to go. Get your fingers ready and dial in to win Sting concert tickets for June 10th. Only on News Radio 890 92.5 KDSP. That's right, I've got five pairs of tickets I'm going to be giving away to Sting in concert in Las Vegas. And uh, like I said at the start of that commercial, just because we're getting up there in years doesn't mean we don't like good music, yeah, right, Dave? That's right. We like <laughs> it more than ever. <clears throat> uh, you were, so what, what year did you graduate high school? Am I, am I supposed to put that on the radio? Well, you don't have to if you don't want to. You can give me a, how about a, a range? Was it late 80s, mid 80s? Late 80s. Late 80s, okay. Yeah, I, we're I, not really that old. I graduated in 84. Uh, my sister graduated in 89, and it's actually amazing the difference in musical taste yeah. we have. Yeah. Uh, she really liked uh, U2, uh, Depeche Mode, uh, I can't even think of all the bands she likes. She was a Michael Jackson fan. Michael Jackson kind of spanned both eras. Uh, and see, I was, for me, it was early 80s. It was Eagles and Boston yeah. and Sticks and, and stuff like that. Such and a great era for music. It, it really was, it's yeah. It's really hard to top the 80s for sure. Kudos to, I was at a ball game somewhere. Oh, it was at Desert Hills last Friday night. And usually, you know, they blare the music pregame as yeah. the teams are warming up and stuff. And you get a lot of Eminem and all the different hip-hop, and, and and they have to bleep out words and stuff like that. But at Desert Hills baseball game last Friday, uh, they were playing – I felt like I was in high school. They were playing, like, the greatest hits of the oh, early, yeah. early 80s. Oh, it was man. really good. That's awesome. So good credit stuff. to whoever programmed their music. <laughs> 
It was it was good stuff. Uh, we talked about uh, you mentioned briefly, and I think maybe we should highlight a little more the fact that heart disease and cancer. Heart disease is number one in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, and cancer is number two as far as killers in Utah. Uh, they're even, they're even up. Uh, I feel like, and, and this may be way off base, but I feel like we can help prevent heart disease. We, we can do something about that. And with cancer, and, and cancer is such an all-encompassing, I mean, you know, you go from you know, liver cancer to brain cancer yeah. to whatever, but it, I feel like cancer is not quite as preventable, preventable as, as heart disease. What, yeah, what would you say about that? You know, that? it's interesting. I, they're kind of... There, there is a component to both mm-hmm. heart disease and cancer. About 30% is genetically related. Okay. So, so then you ha- can't do anything about that. How you choose your parents, you know. <laughs> but, but even those genetic factors are influenced by environmental factors. Right. And there's certainly, and so this is probably the part of cancer that you're talking about. There's, there's a component to cancer that's just purely environmental exposure related, right? You know, yeah. that, Cigarette smoking, or. yeah, smoking, or you know, chemicals, or you know, and we those are the kinds of things we have scares about, or we talk about, and say, mm-hmm. oh, don't eat this, or don't go around this, or you need to get rid of this from the environment. But but there is a very large component of cancer which is lifestyle related, right? So, okay. so uh, metabolic syndrome we call it, where you're you know starting to develop some resistance to sugar, and your high, your blood pressure is going up a little bit, and you're a little higher on the BMI scale than you want to be. That that, that spectrum of you're on the cusp of of a whole lot of chronic diseases. Um, it, it, it actually that into those chronic diseases makes you more susceptible to cancer. You're hmm. more likely to have cancer. So, any specific uh, kind or of uh, cancer? Just well, that's a pretty complex question. I know. I know. Probably Easy that, to so. ask, hard to answer. I know. <laughs> so, so uh, well, I mean, it, just depending on the, the cancer you want to talk about, there's right. a component to some sort of lifestyle choice that's in there, right? So obesity lends itself to a number of different cancers, hmm. for example. So breast cancer and, and colon cancer and things is, like is, that. Is so, colon cancer the most common cancer? So most common cancer... It is dependent. So most common cancer in women is breast cancer. Most okay. common cancer in men is prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. But for all of the above <laughs> is colon cancer. Okay. So because so there's actually more breast cancers and prostate cancers uh, in men and women. But overall, because you're combining men and women, then the number one cancer becomes colon cancer. Colon. So, and, and so looking at those three, breasts in women... Uh, prostate in men and colon in both, how preventable are they? All of the above are more preventable than you would think. Really? Right? With lifestyle factors and hmm. things like that. Particularly, I mean, colon cancer is, is remarkable because screenings starting at 50 really do make a big difference. So yeah. you go in for your colonoscopy. It's it's one of the few things we have in medicine and public health that is is both screening and therapeutic at the same time they can cut out those polyps and you're done right yeah. you don't have to worry about it so so getting those you know it's not anything anybody wants to do but and we end up with about 60 percent of the population getting screened for colon cancer which means 40 percent aren't right there's always only 40 percent huh? there's only 40 there's always 40 percent of everything that people want to do. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> But uh, that that is a big 
deal. And colon oh. cancer is uh, still more common than it should be. Is it, is it a financial issue? Are there people not doing it because they can't afford it? No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's probably some of that, but I, there's lots of ways to get around that. It's mm-hmm. just, um, you know, it's covered by Medicare and Medicaid and all right. the insurances and all that. It's It's more just a reluctance to get on the table and let somebody probe you in, in such intimate ways. Well, well but, I will uh, say this, having had one, uh, that part of it, the getting on the table, the probing thing, I was asleep. I have no idea. It, it, there was no problem right. whatsoever. Right. It was the getting your system cleaned out yeah. part that was hard. <laughs> well, yeah, and they're they're doing better. If, you know, they used to do the old barium stuff. Oh yeah, and, oh, I, man, I drank the barium, and yeah. now it's more into the kind of take a few pills and you know stuff. So I, it, it, everything changes over time. Yeah. But um, um, I, you know, so there's your so there's there's screening for breast cancer, there's screening for prostate cancer, and there's there's screening for colon cancer, and it goes a long way. To, to helping with that. Now, I have never been screened for prostate cancer, and I don't know what that entails. Uh, it seems like to me they sh- should do colon and prostate at the same time because they're in the same neighborhood. Uh, Is that well? It's more of an age thing, right? Is it? So you okay. Don't screen for prostate cancer until later in life, and um, and it's a dis- it's a dis- you know they t- they talk about in the literature making that decision with your physician based on your risk factors, and you know prostate cancer is really interesting because. Uh, most people that end up with well, let me approach it from this angle. If you biopsy 190 year olds, you'll find 190 year olds with prostate cancer. Right? Really? The question is, is that going to be a factor in their death or not? So, so increases dramatically with each decade of life, and and so you run into some real ethical issues with prostate screen, you know, cancer screening of. Are you really helping? Most, you know, a, a good 80, 85, 90% of people with prostate cancer doesn't ever impact what they do in life. Mm-hmm. And so then when they know there's cancer, then you aggressively go after it, and the side effects of the treatment are or radiation, really, chemo, really surgery. Bad, right? yeah. I mean, so, so prostate cancer, I think, is remains difficult because of some of those issues, but certainly... Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in that age range where more aggressive prostate cancers tend to happen and things like that, you know, I mean, that's where regular exams with your doctor make all the sense in the world. Uh, and then breast cancers, you know, catch them earlier. And, but, uh, you know, making sure you go to somebody that's, you know, you know, OBGYN or somebody that's really competent in that field is important too because you get some of these indeterminate results like carcinoma in situ, which is not really cancer, but you treat it like cancer. There's, it's a continually evolving field, and we're doing better than we ever have um, with cancer, but it's still, it's still a long ways away from where it needs to be. Do, do, are there numbers, specific numbers tied to, okay, you need to, uh, they always told me by the age of 50, you should have a colonoscopy, uh, mammograms. How often should a woman who's 40 versus 50 versus 60 have a mammogram? Yeah. So, <clears throat> so the current recommendations are starting at 50, mm-hmm. unless you have a family history with somebody with BRCA and then you start at 40. Right. My, my wife. See that changes, you know, too. So my wife's mom died from originally from getting breast cancer. So it's yeah. obviously on our minds more than yeah. So, others. 
I mean, part of the problem with younger women getting screened is it's harder to see stuff, right? And so sometimes um, you can do just as much harm by screening than not screening if it's not a high enough risk activity. So there's all these balances. Mm-hmm. And so if there's a, an organization called the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, and their job is to make really? recommendations on this stuff. And they actually have a screener where you can go in and type in your age and sex and some of your history stuff and then um it'll it'll pop up with all of the recommended screenings that they feel like you should get at your age and stage of life and all of those kinds of things so um i i you know we don't hear about those kinds of things and sometimes clinicians will use them sometimes they don't sometimes they have time to do it sometimes they don't but i i always think you're better off to understand uh what you can do to to be part of your own care and For sure. and so that's a tool that's out there that can help you kind of nudge your doctor along the path to these recommended screenings part of the problem doctors face is when you have 15 minutes which ones are you going to choose right so you can help them choose the ones that you think are important because of where you're at in your life if so. you push for something the doctor is going to be like okay you're pushing for it let's do it yeah so uh, you're, you, you can be your own health advocate, but yeah. you, you know that's a whole spectrum. So be your own health advocate by exercising and eating a few more vegetables, and, and also mm-hmm. knowing about which screenings help you in your phase of life, things like that. So. All right, get a quick break in more with Doctor Blodgett right after this. Got about five minutes left in the show, so if you want to call, now's the time six seven three five eight ninety. Just got a text. Please ask the doctor. Oh, oh, it disappeared on me. Oh, there it is. Uh, could you ask the doctor where a person would go to see what screening is recommended for their age and gender? Uh, yeah. You mentioned that. So that's that U.S. Preventive Services Task Force website. They actually have an app, too. Uh, oh, they've got their own app. Cool. So I think if you just type in USPSTF, USPSTF U-S-P-S-T-F in the app store or you know Google Play, I think it'll come up. I'm almost positive. So... Uh, but it has a there's an app, but also on their website, just this screen, this this prompt that'll go through your age and risk factors with hmm. you, and then give you all the screenings that you should make sure you get. Very cool. And I they're and they're very conservative. They're not get everything under the sun. Not they, trying they, to sound the alarm. They have a, a very good algorithm where they say, look, there's there's risks associated with this, right? And so are are the benefits of this screening bet more than the risks would be by doing it? And and that's not part of the equation we use in life very often. So they're you know, it's a big thirty five member panel of of the biggest experts and preventive screening and things like that and they just do a really magnificent job of making sure that their recommendations will will make a difference in your chance of dying from those conditions of living a better life and all those kind of things so u.s preventative services task force or search on u.s pstf yeah and you'll you'll find it online and they've got the really cool uh, uh, little thing you run through yeah. all right uh, we're short on time uh let's talk about first of all it is national bike month what does that mean national bike month so interesting or maybe not interestingly enough biking really shot up in popularity over covid right it's something you could do hmm. and you didn't have to wear a mask <laughs> you know you weren't around other people and so so more and more people you know an increase in 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 uptake of biking i think it's something that is accessible and available to most people and in an easier way to add some activity to your life do you and, bike um, i like biking yeah, yeah. um <laughs> i 
you know, we, we, we are part of some of the efforts to bring more trails so people can bike to work and things like that. And that's always something communities plan for. And as we grow so quickly, I think having be, that be part of the conversation, I think, is important. And, you know, how you set up your city and lay it out is kind of important for whether people can walk and bike and things in their communities or whether they have to get in yeah. their car in order to go anywhere and uh, take off and go somewhere else. So. So maybe uh, add an extra bike ride to your uh, agenda for uh, this Good week. Good idea. You, know, you don't have to be, you know. You know, I always think that the the overachievers in a field you know, make it difficult for the rest of us, right? So the guy <laughs> that that bikes twenty miles a day, you know, is that you don't have to be that guy. Just right. to, you know, a bike ride every now and then is really healthy and helps as part of your overall fitness routine. So, little plug for bikes. Speaking of bikes, there will be a lot of them in town as we have the full Ironman coming up this uh, weekend. Uh, you've got a two-point-something mile swim. You've got a 112-mile bike ride, and then you've got a marathon after you do those other yeah. two things. Um, we've talked about it before on the show, but uh, being fit is great. Being fit is yep. fantastic. It's so good for you, uh, but these guys are actually doing some harm to their bodies. That's it's, And I guess that's why it's it's a big deal because they're going to the extreme. Yeah. Well, and so I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm not pro athletic events and stuff. I just think if you be careful to make sure you're in really good shape before you do something like that, what tends to happen is they, they train kind of, and then they go out and do that and it's, Mm. it's punishing, you know, and they end up with, um, Lots of calcification around their heart and, and signs of really extreme stress on their bodies. So it's it's something uh, if you're going to do and you're going to run the marathon or you're going to you know make sure you've adequately trained and done all the work that's necessary to get there to where you need to be to do so. so. Yeah, um, even even just going out and playing soccer or going out and playing basketball if you haven't done it for a while. Yeah. Uh, Ease into it. Don't jump in full force because you're going to hurt yourself. We always think we're more capable and, and uh, in better shape yeah. than we really are. You know? I used to run full court when I was 25. Why can't I now? Uh, yeah. No. And even when you're younger, if you're not doing it regularly, you're, True. You, you're, you're True. a chance for injury. And that just makes everything harder in life. So be careful. Just remember health is the first wealth so and moderation in all things he's dr david blodgett dave thanks for coming in today thank you it's been an absolute pleasure we'll have him on first wednesday of every month and i try to get him more often but sometimes that doesn't work out (laughs) time now for news thanks for listening dr excuse me mayor randall on tomorrow